love, I love Wednesdays. I feel free on Wednesdays. Ah, that's just because you're much more spiritual than me. I <laughs> couldn't help it, could you? What that means is that I had a plan and it got altered. That's what that means. <clears throat> but we're going to get back to it sooner or later. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say that with me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me say it. Let's say it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, it's amazing to me how we read the scriptures and we look at it and we know that it was written to us so that we could have a better understanding of God. Would, you, would we all agree about that? That's why the scriptures are here, so that we'd have a better understanding about God. But when we look at and listen to the stories that we find in scripture, so oftentimes we act as if they were different kind of people. You know, they either had a special anointing, which they did some. I mean, you know, just like we all have different gifts, different talents, different things. But we almost look at them as if something was different about them than they weren't really human like we are. Don't we? We do. And Scripture is constantly there for us to remind us that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Now, not only that, but what God said is remember all these miraculous things I did so that you'll be reminded of what I want to do for you. It says, make memorials, make memories, remember the testimonies, so that you don't forget that this is what I like to do for those that are mine. This is who I am. This is what I do. Right? Are you, everybody with me? And then we have to own that personally. We have to come to the understanding in our own hearts, and our own minds, that that is meant for me. And so you transpose yourself into the character, the biblical character, recognizing the fact that the same thing that happened to him is possible to happen to me because Jesus Christ is the same Right? But here's, here's where we miss it. Here's where it gets difficult. It gets difficult when we understand that we have to count the cost. Rita Springer, when she met with the worship department, she talked about how when you write good songs, when people really write great music, what happens is, is they're writing from their brokenness. They're writing from their tough times in life where, you know, all hell breaks loose, uh, hell bombards them, and they get to a place where they're, they're totally outside of their self-sufficiency. They've come to the end of themselves. They call on the name of the Lord. They depend on the Lord. They, they learn this, this thing about themselves. Most of the time, they, they get a, the light is shined, not shined on them, shown on them, shown on their situation. They get a revelation of their condition. They get a revelation of their brokenness, and they get a revelation of how they really aren't in control at all. Right? And then they call on the name of the Lord and they watch the Lord rescue them out of that place. You know, when, when, we, uh, when we think about what it takes to really have encounters with God and to actually practice some of the things that Joe was talking about, what it comes with is it comes with learning who you really are, learning about your dysfunctions, being able to rightly, soberly judge your condition in the light of a holy God, 
and then cry out to him in, with a sense of urgency that says to him, from your heart, I'm dependent upon you. I know my help comes from you. And, and, and what do you want me to do? We sing the song, you know, you're enough for me, Jesus. But he's really not. Because if we lose our house, we lose our car, we lose our whatever, then we're wrecked. Even though we know that he said he'd never leave us or forsake us. But he's saying to the church today, am I really enough for the church? Do, do you really want my presence? If you really want my presence, what you're really going to have to do is come to the end of yourself. The church needs to come to the end of itself and recognize that they have to count the cost, which means that you have to die so that you can live. You have to go through junk so that you can be refined. You know, <laughs> we think, Lord, send your fire. <laughs> You've heard me say it before. It's like, oh, send your fire, God. Ooh, ooh, ooh. that feels good. Oh, it's the fire of God. And the fire of God goes and burns everything up that's impure. It's not a warm, cozy fire. It's a fire that burns off everything that doesn't look like him. And so you get consumed. And the problem with us as believers is we're not willing to submit ourselves to the consuming fire of God. <laughs> it's the truth. Because the only way the presence comes the way we're seeking it is if we allow him to burn off the impurities. If we say, you really are enough, God. It doesn't matter what I go through. Nothing can steal my joy. Because my joy is not dependent on resources. My joy is not dependent on things, stuff. My joy is not dependent on how popular I am. My joy is not dependent on how much influence I have. My joy is not dependent on how much money I make. My joy is dependent on whether I'm in your presence, you're in my presence. When you move to the right, I move to the right. When you move to the left, I move to the left. My joy comes from knowing that I'm with you and your presence is with me so that I can see that the glory of the Lord is being manifest through me. It's not anything I can produce. There are too many Christians producing way too much in their own strength. It's just good marketing. And the power of the Lord isn't there because it's proven by what people think about Christians. If that's what a Christian looks like, I don't want much of that. If you talk to employers, there's a lot of them that don't want to hire Christians because their work ethic isn't good. They're lazy. I'm just telling you what you see in studies. And the truth of the matter, it should be the opposite. It should be that every employee wants to hire a Christian. Why? Because with that Christian comes blessing. That leads me to a story, one of my favorite stories. How much time do I have? I'm in really good shape. And that's found in Genesis chapter 39. And I just want to talk to you about Joseph. I might start in 38. I think what we're going to do over the next weeks is we're going to take great Bible characters and try to apply what's going on in their life to your life. How this can kind of cross-reference into who 
who you are and what God's doing in him. But let me just go through the story of Joseph. I'll walk through it with you so you can remember it with me, and let me just show you what happens in Scripture and some of the things that I want you to see about Joseph. And remember Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Joseph has a vision, has a dream when he's a kid about his future. How many of you, when you were a kid, had a dream about your future? You know, you, you ladies probably had a dream about what marriage was going to look like. Some of you are going, oh, oh my goodness. I know there's some Cinderella's in here. You know, you probably had a dream of a career path or different things of how life was going to be. Michael Wallace was going to be the most famous musician that ever touched the United States of America. Baseball player when he was a kid. But when he got a little bit older, he was going to be a famous musician. And then he, the Lord said, drop that. And he did. I watched him. Point of the matter is, you have this vision of what, you, what you're going to have. And sometimes the Lord gives you a great vision, and sometimes those visions don't actually come out the way you think, although they actually come out better. It, it comes out phenomenal. But Joseph has this vision about his future, and that is that everybody's going to bow down. The, at the end of the story, how many know the end of the story of Joseph? They actually do bow down, right? So, Joseph has this vision. He tells his mom and daddy. He tells his brothers. They, his brothers, it says they hated him, but after he told them the story, they hated him even more. Because they knew that he was daddy's favorite, and they hated him. And then he tells them the story, and they hate him more. And so, he goes out to, he goes out to, where the brothers are taking the sheep, which is in Dothan area. And when he's coming up, the brothers say, let's figure out a way to kill this boy. And he comes out there, and the oldest, or Judah, prays, says, let's don't kill him. Let's make some money off of him. Praise says that. Judah says that. You really need to see that. I really want you to hear that. Judah is who God sent out in front of everybody. Praise is who God sent out. He had leadership gifts from the very beginning. His tribe had purpose from the very beginning. It just was dysfunctional at the start. Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him. And so they throw him in a pit. And if you'll read the story, the Moabites come by. And they got an idea. Hey, we've got travelers coming by. The Moabites come by. Let's sell him to them. And so the Ishmaelites, do you all know who Ishmael is? Ishmael is the son that was born out of impatience from Abraham and Sarah. So the Ishmaelites come by and they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. There's no coincidence in that. And so Joseph is sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. He, 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 Potiphar is in great authority, and Joseph is in great authority in his house. And his wife is very attractive to him. I love how the Bible says he's chiseled and attractive. It says both. You look, it says both. This boy was a hunk, and he was attractive. It says it, doesn't it? Have you got it? It's in 39. He's chiseled and attractive. And she wants him. Now, I just want to present to you that Potiphar, being the one of the wealthiest guys in Egypt at the time, isn't going to have an ugly wife. Just probably not going to happen, right? You've seen very, very, very many incredibly rich people have an ugly woman on them. That just doesn't usually happen. They're usually 85 and she's 22. <laughs> so anyhow, she's after Joseph and he says, listen, I'm not, 
He says, I've get, been given authority. I've been given blessing in this house. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin against God. She accuses him falsely, and they throw him in prison. And so he's in prison. He's in prison for a while, and then, and then the two prisoners that are in prison with him have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And because he interpreted the dreams, Pharaoh has a dream later on, two years later. So Joseph is in prison for two more years. Then there's a dream. And then Pharaoh gets Joseph out of the jail. He interprets that dream. And because he interpreted that dream, Pharaoh put him over all of Egypt. You know the story? Then the sons come back. He forgives the family. And then Israel is born through Jacob. Jacob, Israel. Right? And then the deliverance, Moses comes later when they forget who Joseph is. And he delivers Israel from Egypt. Which is a whole story of the church. So it's, it's the beginning. But let me just point out some things about Joseph as we read the story that you need to know. Joseph, in verse uh, chapter 39, I'll read uh, a couple of verses, the first two. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, high, high in authority, an Egyptian bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Look at what it says. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of Potiphar's house and all that he had had that the Lord Bless the Egyptian's house for whose house, whose house got blessed? Joseph's house. I mean, Potiphar's house. Why? For Joseph's sake. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Who is your employer? Say it out loud. Who's your employer? Say it out loud. Okay. My employer can be blessed by God for my sake. Let me say it again. Some of you don't believe me. Is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. He is. Can your employer be best? Can my employer, say it, be blessed for my sake? Yes, he can. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Everything that Potiphar had was blessed because Joseph was in Potiphar's house. Now you think, do you think that happened naturally or do you think it might be because Joseph had an intimate relationship with God? And see, it doesn't happen just because you once confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord and you were baptized when you were 10, and when you change your mind, you'll let somebody know. It doesn't happen because of that. It happens because you're familiar with who God is. You know who your God is, and you're familiar with how he look, works. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you're going to see that as we go forward. So the Lord blessed his house, and then he gets thrown in jail. He gets thrown in jail because he's falsely accused. Now, wait a minute. Let's look back and think just a minute. He had this vision that he was going to be authority over all people. 
And then he finds himself in authority of, over Potiphar's house. And it says, he says to Potiphar's wife, listen, I've been given authority over everything that the captain of the guard has except you, his wife. I'm not going to take advantage of you because that would be sinning against God. I've got everything but you, and I refuse to take that. He was already in authority. He was already in power. He was already prospering. And then he does the right thing and gets thrown in prison. There's so many of us, when we go through life and we hit a bump in the road, things are going good, they're, they're going along smoothly, we hit this bump, and then great anxiety, great depression comes because we lose sight that we're still the king's kid. Well, I'm not where I thought I'd be. So what? So what? Look at the first verse. After Joseph gets thrown in prison, verse four, uh, 21 and 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Wait a minute. He's in prison. How can you receive mercy from God and be in prison? Now, when I say prison, if you see these prisons in those days, they're just holes in the ground, y'all. They are just rock holes. You've seen them in Israel. They're just dug out pits that are hard and have nothing in them. They drop them in a hole. There's no toilet. There's no food. There's no escape. There's no way out. It's a circle. Probably no bigger than this room. Probably not as big. It might be 30 feet deep. It's dark. It doesn't have any light. You can't see your hand in front of your eyes. And the quote from Jesus, who's the same, yesterday, today, and forever, says God was merciful on Joseph. How? Joseph had to know that he wasn't by himself. Then it says, and he, he showed him mercy, and he gave him and, circle and, mercy and, he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So the presence of the Lord is on Joseph. Joseph is perfectly aware that he's not by himself. Why? Because he has an intimate relationship with God. Because you could kill him, you could stone him, you could do anything to him, and he wouldn't lose his hope, he wouldn't lose his belief. There was nothing you could do to Joseph to rob his joy because the Lord was enough. And then he began to see the evidence of the Lord in his life, even in prison. Because he started getting favor in the sight of the prison. And the keeper of the uh, prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was Joseph's doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord, why didn't he look? Why didn't he look at anything that was under Joseph's authority? Because the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made prosper. It wasn't that what Joseph did prospered. It was what Joseph did the Lord made prosper. We're talking about prison. And so then they had dreams. Two prisoners that were in prison with Joseph had dreams. One was a baker. One was a cupbearer. 
they had offended the king, said they, they did the king wrong. I don't know exactly what they did to the Pharaoh, but they, they, they messed up, and they found themselves in prison. They both had a dream. Joseph uh, sees that they have saddened faces, and he goes, what's up, boys? And they said, we had a, we've, had, we've both had dreams. Joseph says to them, we've had, they said that we've had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. I, you could just run right by that. But Joseph is expecting God to give him the answer. He's in relationship with God to such a degree that he's not expecting an answer for God for these two boys. Doesn't God have interpretation of dreams? Well, I, I know him. He's my daddy. He's with me here. He's having mercy on me in prison. He's prospering everything I do. I know him. Please tell them to me. Now let me ask you, do you have that attitude toward the people that you're around at work? Please tell me your issues because I've got a father who's a solution giver, a miracle working God, and we can we can take your situation, bring it to the king of kings, and he's going to give us wisdom to walk down a way. He's going to tell us to turn left or right, and I can walk down that road with you. Is that who you are? Do you have that kind of confidence that God's going to do that in your relationships with the people around you? He wants to. He's looking for a person that will have a heart devoted to him so that he can show himself strong through that man or woman. The eyes of the Lord are looking for somebody that will say, please, tell me your stuff. Because God loves you. He's purposed in his heart before the foundation of the world that he's got a plan for you, a plan to prosper you. He didn't want you to perish. He didn't want you to, he didn't want you to, you know, fall into a pit. He wants you to prosper even in the condition you find yourself in. So anyhow, these two come up to Pharaoh, and one of them's had a very positive interpretation of the dream. And that was, you're going to be restored. The other one was, you're going to be beheaded. And he said in three days. Now, there's, there's something that I really want to say about prophecy, and I think the Lord wants me to say it to us. This was very, very, very um, detailed prophecy, and it came about. In three days, he says, in three days. In three days, this is going to happen. We want to be open to prophecy, but we also want to be careful that it is prophecy because there's different spirits. And so you want to make sure that what you say is really God. And then it comes about. And then it says this in, in chapter 41, verse 1, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. So these boys get out of prison. And Joseph is stuck in that hole for two more years. Two more years. Say that with me. Two years. How many of you get frustrated in three months when things aren't perfect? As if God has abandoned us desperate desperation we're emotional basket cases 
so often times. It's true, isn't it? Watch Joseph. Two years later, it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and hang on, he says this about Joseph. Verse 16, so Joseph answered Pharaoh, and he said this, it is not me who interprets. God will give Pharaoh an interpretation and bring peace to the situation. His confidence, y'all really need to hear me. Two years later, after he'd been in the hole for two more years, his confidence in his ability to hear God in front of Pharaoh had not waned one ounce. Why? How? Because he worshiped. He knew God. He knew the presence of God. Nothing could steal his joy. Nothing could steal his hope. Nothing could make him not believe. He knew his God. He knew where he came from. He knew the vision God had given him. He still believed in God's vision. He still had relationship with God. He still had confidence in his ability to hear the Lord. And then Pharaoh gives him the dream. And he interprets the dream accurately. Pharaoh exalts him to the highest authority, the same authority he had in Potiphar's house, now he has in Egypt. There's nothing that was not under Joseph's care. Even Pharaoh's family, his household, his bills, everything that the king did, was under Joseph's leadership. He was restored. And then there were seven years of good, seven years of bad. God gave him the vision even to do that. Now listen. Listen. In our culture, the cultural rivers flowing and there's rapids. Have you ever been tubing whitewater rafting? You know, the warning is not to put your feet down, not to stand up because you get foot entrapment and the current just pushes you over and you drown. You can't get back up. Well, us Christians jump in the worldly rapids with our ways of thinking, with our finances, with everything about us, without pursuit of the Lord's way at all, and, and when the rapids push us over, we wonder where God is. And we really haven't adhered to his policies in Scripture, number one. And number two, we haven't really asked his opinion and expected to actually hear from him so that he could direct us in our ways. And we certainly haven't waited. You know, one of the things that, that we're seeing right now is the provision of God in, in this place. I'm saying that because he wants to do that in your life. But when we say, when you move to the right, I'm going to move to the right. When we move to the left, we want everything to be about the way we want it done. And if he doesn't do it that way, we're upset with God. And that's just not the way it works. You know how it works? All hell's going to break loose in your life. And you're going to come to the end of yourself. And then you're going to cry out to God. And the power of God is going to come upon you. And he's going to deliver you from that place. And it's going to be the glory of the Lord. And everybody's going to know it. Because it's outside of who, what you could do. It's a God-sized thing. And then he, he's going to show himself strong through you. It doesn't, it's not going to look like you. If you could do it, it's not God. Now, he does want to use you, and he's given you talents, but it needs to be much bigger than what you can produce. 
The world can produce that without God. There are many atheists that are rich, and we aren't supposed to want what they have. We need to know the difference between what they have and what God provides. Joseph knew it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants to do something in our life as an individual. He wants to do something in you, Richard. Big. He wants to bless your workplace. He wants to show you the way. He wants to do great and mighty things that you cannot understand. He wants testimony of seas parting, of dependency upon him, of a good report of the promised land. Now, there's so much in Scripture. You know, there were 12 spies. Two came back with a positive report. The rest of them didn't think God was big enough to handle what they were about to go into. And so they never went where God wanted them to because they didn't think God could. And they certainly didn't think they could. They didn't know their God. They didn't trust their God. How are you going to change what you're doing so that you can see the glory of God? Is God really enough for you? And are you willing to walk down the roads that he wants you to walk so that he can, get, he can show you your dysfunction? He can shine light on that. You see it and repent and renounce and begin to speak the blessings of God over your life until you find yourself in a different place as you depend on God doing something in you that you can't do on your own. Because what we do is we make a mess. I ask Sunday how many of you are are tired of living outside of God's best for you. And I don't know how many, we have 400 people or so here, how many people really heard that thought and really believed that it was possible to live inside God's best and what it really takes to do so. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce and bear fruit take up your cross daily die to yourself every day your instrument of death and follow me don't worry about tomorrow today's got enough stuff for you to worry about depend on me today to do what for me to have mercy on you for me to be with you so that everything you touch, everything you do, I make good. He makes good. Why? Because you're in relationship with him. You're surrendered to him. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're praying. When you don't know what to pray, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. Because when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God prays for you the will of God. Romans chapter 8. Today. I'm saying all that because there are so many people that want the presence of God but they're not willing to do what the presence of God costs. You don't get the presence of God when everything is hunky-dory and you're going along in life without it. It comes from surrender. It comes from intimacy. It comes from dependency. It comes from not only just empty words that come from your mouth that say to God, you're enough for me. But it's actually a soulish, heartfelt truth that Jesus, if I don't have nothing else, you're enough. If I'm in a dungeon, you're enough. You can sustain me. You can sustain my hope. You can sustain my peace. You can sustain everything that I need for health. Just you.
Don't need nothing else. Not Jesus plus this. Just Jesus. That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I just want you to I'm confess it right before you. I'm on a scale of one to ten. Maybe a maybe a three. But I'm getting better. I'm aware of my condition. And that's what God wants you to be, aware and then willing to deal with it. Don't just keep putting it under the rug. You know, change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're doing. Change your posture before God. Really know that he is enough. Don't hold on to stuff. Hold it like that in front of God. Or if I, you know, the two most precious things to me are my son and my wife. But if the Lord takes either one of them, is he still going to be enough for me? Yeah. Because the reason I'm rich is because I'm in Christ Jesus. And they are too. Eternity is eternity. I'm going to see him again. No matter what, he's made provision for that. I can feel the air come out of the room when I said that. But it's true, isn't it? It really gets to the core of the deal. Is God really enough? So it's a tough question, but it's a great question. I think he's looking for a group of people who are totally in love with him. And I think he's found them. But I think we can grow. Yes? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for the life of Joseph that gives us hope, that, that you give us vision, and then you carry it out. And no matter how that gets bumped or how it doesn't look like we thought it ought to look, God, we never get discouraged for long. I'm sure Joseph, Lord, asked, but he never lost hope. He believed. He maintained his trust and his, his, his ability and confidence that you were with him. I just, want, I just want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I, I don't want you to tell me what it is, but if you're facing something real big that you, that, that you really need God to move on, would you just raise your hand? If, you think, if you've got something that you feel like is bigger than you, you need God to move all over the place. And there was somebody that came up to me on Sunday and said, you know, there's, there's a spirit of suicide that I'm sensing. Which is a total absence of hope. I just want to say, if that's you, if you're here tonight, that that's a lie. And I pray that you would renew your hope in Christ Jesus tonight. So if you raise your hand again, if you've got an issue that is bigger than you, go ahead and raise it up. We're going to pray. Pray about those issues. Raise them up all over the place. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know, you know every issue in the room. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we recognize that the problem the issue is not too big for you. That you want to bless 
you want to move, that you want to give solutions, that you want to give wisdom, that you want to bring correction, you want to bring healing and health in everything. I believe it. Say it with me. I believe it. And I ask you to do it. And I'm willing to wait on you. I'm willing to worship you while I wait. Trust you. Move, move in intimacy with you. Knowing that you're always with me. That you're never going to leave me or forsake me. Father, I pray right now. I'm just going to pray over you. Father, I pray right now that your presence would be evident in everybody in the room and those that even aren't here that are part of our body and even the church, God, anybody that is part of the church across America. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we, would, that we wouldn't be prideful and we wouldn't be motivated by how much more influence that we can have over anything or anybody, that our issues of control would be, would be severed And then we, we just want to see the glory of the king. We just want to see the miraculous. We just don't want to see you move outside of what we can do on our own. Help us wait on the Lord. Help us wait on you, God. Help us two years not to lose patience or lose hope in you. May we worship you in the midst of hardship. May you teach us and instruct us and give us courage as we trust you. May we realign our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray that we not look at the world around us and sometimes even the culture of the church and get our opinions about how we're supposed to respond to you. But we would line up with your word. When we see it in your word, God, that we would actually begin to respond to it no matter what our society says is the way we ought to respond to it. We know you have a desire. We want to meet that desire, not somebody else's. And so tonight I pray, Lord Jesus, that I'd be willing to die to myself more and more. I pray that I would take up my cross afresh and anew every day and I would follow you. I pray that when I say with my lips that you're enough for me, that that would be true in my heart. That if you took everything away from me, if you did me like you did Job, I would still worship you. I would not curse you. So that you could bring back to me tenfold. Because that's who you are. And I would be motivated by the tenfold I'd be motivated by your presence because that was enough. But your request because you're almighty God. You're the great God of the universe. You're the creator of all things, all mathematics, all physics, all science. You're the creator. We're the discoverer. May we be sober-minded. May we rejoice and be joyful. May we be incredible workers. And I ask your blessing upon us and everything we do and upon those that we work for or in relationship with because we're so close to you and you're blessing them because of us. Help us move into that. Help us move into a place where we want people, we say to people, please tell me what you're seeing and what you're going through because I have a father who's a solution-giving God that'll show me and that'll show you the direction of freedom. 
I thank you for that, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Was that heavy? That was heavy. Do we need to bless everybody? I think we do. <clears throat> Why don't you lay hands on somebody to your left and to your right? Let's say, let's say this together. Father, Father I know, I know. <laughs> that your spirit, your spirit is enough for me. Enough for me. I, know I know that as I surrender myself to you, that as I give you permission to examine my heart, there is no condemnation. There's correction, but not condemnation. You're not imposing guilt. You're imposing power to do righteousness. Your joy, O oh Lord, I realize Without a, without a shadow of a doubt, is my strength. Is my strength. I, will I will rely on the joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord. Every, day. Every day. The joy of the Lord, of the Lord. Is, my is my strength. The presence, the presence brings, joy. brings joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So Father, we pray blessing on all my brothers and sisters. And we ask you, Lord, that your spirit would overshadow them, overtake them, empower them to do your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I feel better. God bless you. See you Sunday. Bring like 30 people with you.